So, um, the passage, James, James 1, in your handout or in the scripture, but I want to read it, whether um, it's in your Bible, or I just, we put this piece in there. Now, I want you to listen to the words, because initially what he says is, is almost your part of you, if you're reading it, just honestly, you're going to go, what are you talking about? Okay? Dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers, when troubles of any kind come your way, I want you to consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested and your endurance, it has a chance to grow. So let it grow, because when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. That is mature, complete. There's being the integrity about your life that will hold. Needing nothing, you'll be able to sustain. Now, what James is getting at, and we look at that and we go, wow, did you just say that we're supposed to be happy about problems and troubles? Account it joy? Come on. You can't be serious. Right? Let me suggest at the very beginning what James is not saying. All right? This is what he's not saying. We'll just put this up there. What he is not saying is that troubles and trials, problems, difficulties, bad things in our lives, adversities as we might call them, are occasions for joy in and of themselves. He's not saying that. Because you know what? That like would rage against all sensibility. None of us would say, oh, this is bad, but I'm supposed to call it good. No, when we go through bad things, when people hurt us, or we, when we have a, a, a really huge issue that is hard that we're working on, we're not supposed to go, oh, it's good. It's good. No, it's not. We don't call something good that isn't good. If it's bad, it's, it's not good. Well, so he's not saying pretend. He's not saying, oh, deny that this bad thing is a good thing. What he is saying is what is next, and that is this. The, the reason we can look at something joyfully and embrace it, even though it's hard, difficult, adverse, is because of what it can bring into our lives. The way that God can use it, if we welcome him in as a means of formation, growth, expansion, deepening, um, there's something that the Lord can do that actually, listen to me, even in the ugliness, can be made beautiful. That's what God does. And so the writer says, James says, listen, you need to shift your paradigm because we serve a God who, when he's welcomed into things, can take even the worst of life and bring good from it. Therefore, we can even embrace some things that are awful with joy, not because of what it is, but because what God can do through it in us. Wow. That's a very different way of looking at things. Now, I was thinking about this, this passage here in the book of James. Some of you may know this, but not everybody would I even necessarily assume this. But it's been over 35 years that I've been teaching the scriptures, Bible studies. Um, I was, uh, I was the, in fact, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating, but one of the first Bible studies I can ever remember teaching. I don't know why this happens. You might do this every now and then. Sometimes I can't remember what happens years back. I can't remember details. But every now and then something will spark me, and then I can remember exactly where I was at. And I can see it in my mind. Someone's face I can't remember, but I see a picture or that sparks my memory of it or of a moment. Something happens. Well, I was reading this book of James and thinking about this message, and my mind went back in time to an earlier day when the world was a lot younger. And 
I was doing one of the first Bible studies I ever taught. I was basically 16 years old. I was a, I was a junior, I think, in high school. Um, I was super excited about it, but also so, totally scared to do it. But it was on the book of James. And I can remember in my mind's eye, where the room I was in, at the time, um, my brother and, and my mother, my mother and my brother and I, my only brother, and I, we, the three of us lived together. And um, I still remember that, that period in my life. My mom and dad had been, been uh, separated uh, when we were 12. And, you know, I, I, that, that had an effect on us um, because we went with my mom, but my dad, even though he, he caused, in my mind, he caused the majority of the problem, he ended up being the one most adversely affected by it. And I mean, he really, he essentially just disappeared. My dad went AWOL. He was absent without leave. I mean, there was no, he, he didn't barely interact with us physically and emotionally. He was just non-existent, okay? Um, I've shared that before. I know it's not a big deal to some people, but whenever you, you've ever, you know, because I've been there for all my kids, and if you play sports or you do something artistic and you have an event or a school or something, you want, you want people who love you to be there. I mean, I can't remember one time my dad ever being one thing. And, and I, I began to get used to that and like I say, I was thinking about um, this period in my, li in my life because uh, what had happened was, and I know this, I know my dad, and years later I would at least have a chance to pray with him and talk to him before, and he's gone now. Um, but he did open his up, heart back up to the Lord. That was a big deal to me. But we never have much of a relationship. I say that because um, I remember that period, and I remember how it was in this, actually, I know it was in this building, this campus. I was about 13 years old when, and it was right around here, actually, when the church was waste. It, I had a real encounter with Jesus. I mean, I made a decision to follow him. I committed my life to him, and it affected me emotionally. So I started following the Lord, but what had happened is during that period, my grandfather, who was a, a pastor, a bivocational pastor, driving a muni bus just to help pay some of the church bills. And they were trying to exist as a community. But he, he kind of filled that gap for me. My dad battling his own wounds and demons, he couldn't even barely take care of himself. He was such a mess. But my grandfather fills in for that gap in my life. And, what, and now I'm going to say this about him, and I just want to point it out. It's not like, um, <laughs> and I've shared this before, but even though he was in his 60s, he... He, and he was a pastor. He wasn't touchy, feely. Uh, there was no, this was not the uh, highly affirming man who went out of his way. Um, there were no, there was no coffee time, right? There was no long talks. Um, he was, he was um, roughly hewn on the edges. He wasn't one to flatter. He wasn't, wasn't one to show affection, much vulnerability. Kind of, uh, that wasn't him. He, he was a man of his generation. And that generation was taught, you don't show how you feel. You don't show your feelings. That's weakness. And, uh, but as an older man, nearing his final, what I, what his final decade, um, it kind of intersected just when I was also moving into my teen years, and I had just accepted Jesus. And I saw his warmth begin to break through 
that kind of granite facing. And there would become these moments where his affection, I could tell, I could tell it. Um, I started to, to sense that he was pleased, especially after I had made a commitment to follow Jesus, right? Because now we had something really in common. And I could tell he was really happy about that. And we would talk about things that before, you know, I know here's the thing, the irony being is I'm his son's son. And, and yet there was this emerging relationship that was going on. And I'll not forget that because there were times where I could just tell, you know, he was happy with me. He, once in a while he'd say something. Every now and then I'd get like his sign of an affection about the far as he would go in terms of embracing was like a pat on the head, right? So I would go, oh, oh that means I love you, right? You know? <laughs> and I knew, and I, but I could feel it. I could feel the warmth. Um, and the bond and, and the love and the hope, I think, that was there that, that I would not commit to, that someday I might consider the possibility of following a call of God in my life and, and maybe, maybe even consider pastoring the church that he had, he and a few others had worked so hard just to try to build a little small core. And so uh, I, the reason that comes up is because, um, you know, I could tell our bond was growing. I was moving towards 20. He was in his, he was nearing 70 and, and in his 70s, actually, and sensing his body's decline. Now, here's the occasion. Just in 2015, I was thinking about this message, this series, because I was really having a hard time. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But it was a hard, it was a hard period there. And I was, hurt, I was hurting. And uh, I felt like I was under a lot of adversity. You know, not, not just from a, a medical perspective. As some of you know, I had gone through vocal surgery. But, but that played all kinds of, there was all kinds of other stuff associated with that for me. Being, being told by the board, you need to get away, you know, and take some time. And just, I, I, I was sitting there. I remember the moment. I was feeling very sorry for myself. I was hurting, really hurting in a way I hadn't really hurt before. And then I found in my mind's eye, I was looking at, I was actually looking out of the water and I started, I was writing things down and I just, uh, I remember thinking about my grandfather. And I remembered him and what a model he had been for me and how I had watched him as an example of following Jesus when I watched him go through what I knew was real pain. And in my mind's eye, I started thinking back to some things. And so I wrote a poem about him. And, and I just, I want, before I, I share it with you, I want to I I put up a picture of, of him. And you can see it. That's my, that's my grandfather with my dad. There's no family resemblance. I think you can see that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's my, my grandfather with my dad. And... Um, Years later, flashed to a point where he was now a couple of years, maybe less than a year before he died. I'm with him. We're at a conference, some type of a conference. And um, this is the man I'm talking about. All right? And here's what I read. It's my heart. To the boy with no dad, with the hunger for God, you brought two things a steady hand and a presence unfailing, a point of stability in a tumultuous sea of change, a living, breathing, imperfect, but utterly authentic example, a man who loved God, no weak one he, no dabbler, 
No reed blowing in the wind that men come to see. No hardy, stalwart, passionate, prayerful. Few letters, not highly educated, but full devotion. My hero in flesh and blood, the man I grew to love with a commitment, true, and eventually grabbed the hand that held the baton that now I call my own. And although I have stumbled, failed, fallen along the way, face bloody, bruised at times, deeply wounded, wounded by my own doing, by my frailty, selfishness, unthinking, foolishness, but thus far an error I would have it be to the end, I have risen to run again by faith in mercy, by grace in gratitude, until the day I too release what was placed in my hand by more than a man to another who will carry it farther than me to a place I will never see. This too I believe. Should I run to the end my race till I see your face, grace upon grace? That's my poem. That's my poem for him, for him, for the Lord. Oh, thank you. I didn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, at the end of my life, I watched my grandfather serve Jesus in great pain. That's the connection. His 70 mark, 70s mark, roughly speaking, my 18th through 25th year of my life. I was only 25 when he died. That's when I started pastoring here. Um, a few months after our oldest son, Caleb, was born, um, he, Caleb, my oldest son, Caleb, was the only one he ever held of our four children. You can see him there. He's dying right there. But he holds my boy, our boy. I, I, who's that other guy in there? I don't even recognize him. <laughs> it's like, who is it? Now, here's the thing. For most of my grandfather's 70s, he suffered physically, but his last two years, he had what was known as congestive heart failure. And that, what that does is it sometimes, it, and, and it almost couldn't be a worse thing for a preacher or a teacher. Because what happens is you get water on your lungs because the, the heart can't pump. Can't, it, so you start, you start having a hard time breathing. You feel like you're, you're suffocating. And so every time I would start to watch him when he was preaching, you know, he, I could tell he was starting to labor. I could feel his pain. You know, even just, I just, I saw it. For, and again, there were times where it made it so hard to, for him to breathe that he was seemed in such discomfort that I marveled at his capacity to bear it. But he did. Oh, captain, my captain, he did. He did it. I saw it with my own eyes. I would say to him on one time, and you've heard me say this before because it's kind of funny, but I said, hey, Gramps, I said, how you feeling? I, said, I could tell he, wasn't, he was hurting. And he goes, I feel awful. And then I said, oh. And he says, ask me how I'm doing. I said, how you doing? He says, I'm doing great. Now, I said, wait a second. Did you just say awful? Now you're saying great. I don't understand what that means. But he was trying to teach me something. You see, I didn't know then what I barely know how to understand now is how truly difficult it is to not go by how you feel. But to live out of the context of real life in Christ. When our doing is more dependent on the light of Jesus burning inside of us like a joyful flame, or if, I, if that seems too much about a, a flickering candle of joy inside, deep inside of us, 
that is stronger, stronger than how we feel or how difficult it is. So now what we're really doing is we're touching on what James is getting at, right? And I remember how as a younger man, I had experienced some disappointment, no question about it. Some of you have too. Some of you are feeling it right now. But I remember how as a younger man, I read this, this passage. I was still relatively unscathed by pain. I didn't have a lot of loss in my life. I had stuff happen, but other people have stuff happen too. But as the years have gone by, I've come to realize that, boy, the person I was reading this is a very different person now. I've, once you experience and watch and witness and, ex, and have things happen, when you lose things, when you experience weakness, when you know suffering and sorrow, when you watch it happen, it changes your perspective. And on God's word, it can change with you along the way. It's the be- part of the beauty of it, you guys. Don't ever lose touch with these words. They will carry us through every season of our life. And every season they will meet us exactly where we are. There's power in them. My words, Jesus says, are power. They are life to you. So I'm looking at this passage right here, right? And, I wanna, and, and what is the thing that it teaches us? It teaches us here, and I will ask them if they can just put it up. It teaches us that we are to look through even the worst that life throws at us through the prism of opportunity. One of the, one of the questions that I've been asking people more rhetorically, but myself too, a lot is when you hit, when adversity hits you or we run into things, if we welcome God in, what is the opportunity in the adversity? Where is the opportunity in the adversity? That's what we want to get at. Where is the opportunity in the adversity? Look back at this passage. Look at the one that's in the second column there. This is from the message translation. It, it, it tweaks it a bit, but I think it opens it up in a different way. Look what James says. Consider it, you can see it yourself right there. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, I mean, when you, and if you've ever felt pressure, sometimes things hit you hit us, I'm talking about not, you know, it's one thing we get something hits us, but then while we're trying to deal with that thing, something else hits us, then we make unforced error. Now all of a sudden we've got stuff coming at us from all directions. We feel the pressure. When you feel the pressure, it's hard. It is hard to move forward. And it's hard to live with joy. That is hard. That's what he's saying. Look, when you feel this, when you're getting hit from all directions, you know that under pressure, this is what, look, you got to consider it a gift. What are you talking about? A gift? You got to be kidding me. No, because your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. It can open up. So then what he says is something that almost seems like, How? What do you mean? So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Again, you can't be serious. When we're suffering, when we're hurting, when we're under pressure, when things are really hard, when it is a struggle, what do we say? I want out of this now. That's why people do all kinds of crazy things. When we're in pain, you'll do anything you can. And what is he saying? You know what? We We get it. I want out. I want out. I want out. I can't take it. I can only hold up. You know, this is what we're talking about right here. And he says, you know, you don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Don't do that. Let it do its work so you become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. This is the wisdom of God's word. 
wow. I think when we're under that kind of pressure, we do. We're like, we're like a fish wiggling on a hook and we're like, off, right? He's saying, no, 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 no. Calm this down. There's something here. There's an opportunity here. You know, I was reading about um, the giant redwoods there, because we call them, sometimes they're called sequoias. They're here in California. And um, I'm show you, this is, I mean, they, they're amazing. Look how big that thing is. That is huge. Look at the guy. You can see it. It's massive. It's a beautiful shot. They can tower up to 300 feet up to th and up to 30 feet in diameter, at the, the largest ones. They're cones. They carry 200, up, they can carry up to 200 seeds, and they can take up to two years to mature. Once mature, the, the, the seeds in the cones sit there, and they, they await. Once the seeds are there in the cone, they await something to let them out. Now, sometimes maybe a beetle might bore a hole or a squirrel opens up, but majority of the time, their resin is so hard, it's, it, it, it's so contained that, honestly, the thing that really opens them up is the heat of a forest fire. It's the heat of a forest fire that causes the cones to open up and their seeds to, to spread like nothing else can because the heat melts the coating and makes it possible for the cone to open up again, right? And then the fire burns away the growth, allows for more sun to come in. And at the same time, the uniqueness of this tree is that it, it's so thick that it can endure most fires. So the very thing that actually is, could be consuming actually ends up releasing the life. You can see a picture. And, and here's the thing. Hear me out on this fundamental principle. Here it is. Some things can never open up and be released in our lives unless they're forced to open up. There are some things, spiritually speaking, that can only happen through the fire of adversity. So we're so resistant to some things God wants to do in us, through us, so tightly wound up by the resin, that sometimes the only way to change and listen to experience the new growth that God wants to bring is when we're forced under the pressure and the heat of adversity to open up ourselves, right? Because you know why? A lot of times there's stuff and we're, we're just not going to do it on our own. We're not going to do it. But we, or some, maybe we're comfortable. Maybe we got used to it. Maybe it's the way our family did it. But you know what? It could be bad, but we're just not going to do it. But when it starts really getting and that heat starts melting away, oh, all of a sudden, we're more open to things than we ever were before. All of a sudden now, you know, pain's got my attention. I'm listening different. I'm, I, 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 I was talking to somebody last night, and I, he said, I said, maybe the gift that's coming right now is it drops our pride and, out of, and opens us up in humility, and God, he cannot resist the humble. And so all of a sudden what, was looked, what seemed so bad, it, it breaks us down so much that now I'm open to you, Lord, in ways I would have never been open to you before. And that creates the possibility when my pride is stripped away and I'm really honest with you. Now, all of a sudden, you can move in my life in ways you couldn't move before. And all of a sudden, you can begin to do something that couldn't. Here's the thing. Here's the second thing, I'll put it up there. Adversity, then, is the tool, the mechanism that God sometimes uses or allows once in a while, rarely, but sometimes sends 
are a way to melt away things that are hindering our faith life and open us up into new things. Here's the thing. God wants to break, uh, break us out into open spaces and new graces. He, can you hear me when I say there's a kind of liberation and learning that can only be found in pain and loss? Now I go, what are you talking about? Because it has to do with God opening things up, just like that fire on that cone. It melts away the stuff and allows for something to open up. That's something, again, I, I learned, especially almost to, that, in that two years, about that two years ago, when it was really hard for me, I was telling you, I was having a very hard time. Um, again, I, I was in pain, and my pain was both physical, but it was also mental and emotional. I, I, it, that period disabused me of my sense of control and my identity. I had to learn to wrestle with that. It hurt. It hurt a lot. And I, I, I do remember that. And, and yet what happened out of that is it forced me to, into new possibilities, new ways of seeing, new ways of being with God that I hadn't, I hadn't really been open to before. So, you know, again, oh, on your handout, you can see, see, look at the cover again, one more time. See, the, simple. This, the imagery is there, growing through adversity. Growing. I, the two, you can see the key word. Grow. Everybody, I think God wants us to grow. I know he does. In fact, I think this year, God, some of us, listen, this is the year we receive Jesus. This is the year we grow and open up our heart to him. This is the year when it happens. It could be this month. It could be this week. It could be this day. It could be in this service here that our heart really opens. For some of us, that's the new thing. Some of us, we've, we, we, we've, we've been following him. We've accepted we've him. But we haven't been growing. We haven't been growing. We're, no, nothing new is there. Just kind of there. God's saying, this is your time to grow. For others of us, it might be that he has a completely new branch that he wants to grow in our lives, a part of our character, a shift that he wants to occur, something that can bear fruit in a very different way. It could, for still others of us, it could have something to do with something that's, that's been there for a while, but it's not, it, it, it's not bearing anything. It's just it's like kind of dormant. He's saying, ah, this branch will bear life again. Growing. What's the other word? Adversity. It's the one we've been talking about. And all of us experience this at some point, right? We get it. Some of us are experiencing it right now. Adversity can come in many forms. It can be external. It, stuff to, it can be with our health. It has to do with relationships. It could be stuff at work. You know, it could be the lack of a relationship and we feel lonely or the pressure to have one or a companion or someone to understand. What it, Sometimes our most powerful things aren't even, they're not even due with our money or stuff outside or problems we've, we've got to deal with and there's a lot of stuff going on and we've, it might have to do with people. Sometimes the issues aren't people, it isn't stuff, it's stuff inside of us. And that sometimes is the hardest stuff. Stuff in our minds, the way we feel, that struggle, who am I? You know, can I let go of this wound? get this tendency to get depressed, to become my own worst enemy, to tell myself I'm no good, to accept things in my life that God's saying, I don't want you to have those. I didn't give them to you. You're taking them on yourself, right? Adversity. Sometimes, again, we do stuff. We create our own problems. I, I'm not trying to blame my dad, but I, I think about that. Again, I, I point the fact out that he, the very thing that hurt him the most, he created it. And we can do that. What do we do? There's shame that goes with that. There's guilt that goes with that. What do we do about that? 
That's adversity in our lives. Sometimes things will be going okay, but we've got stuff going on inside, and it's, it's ruining everything. We can't let go. We're jealous. We're, 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 we're finding our value in things that sh shouldn't be defining our value. We don't know how to get free of it. We feel, feel like we're in bondage. Who do we talk to? How do I get better? It seems relentless. It never stops. It's just on me all the time. How do I get out of this? That stuff. But there's another word, isn't it? Growth, adversity. But what is that middle one? Through. Through? Oh, okay. So you mean like getting through something? Yeah, partly. One way of thinking of through is like, I want to finish this. I want to get past this stage, this situation in my life. I want to get through. I want to learn how to grow through this. So part of where we're going to be talking in the coming weeks is how do we learn how to persevere through things that aren't good in our lives without letting them define us? How do I learn how to grow past this, right? Get through this. Through as in putting it behind me, turning the page, moving on, right? That, getting past the finish line. Next stage, I got past that thing. I, now look, there is value in learning how to persevere. Some of us are going to gain tremendous wisdom and equipment for how to endure and persevere and prevail when part of us wants to run away, quit, or accept the false things that are flying at us. There's a value in learning how to grow through adversity in persevering, but through also means something else. Through also means, think of it this way, it, it's how something happens. It, it is a, a mechanism of formation. So what we're saying is this happened because of this. This is the way, a, for, a forming mechanism. This is how this occurs. This, so what we're saying is, okay, we're going to learn how to persevere. Yes, we're going to learn how to do that better. But we're also going to learn how God can take the adversity and how if we work with him and allow him to work in our lives, he can take the adversity, the stain and the shame of whatever else it is, the problem, the struggle, and he can use that as a mechanism for forming things in our lives, growing us into places we could have never gotten in any other way. In other words, it's not just like getting through it. It's about growing through it. It's a, that, and they're both true. They're both good. I'm convinced that there are things that happen in the midst of our adversity, whether it comes from something we've done, something that's been done to us, something that we've experienced, whatever happened it, or is happening or may happen. Look, God can use, if we bring him in, he can not only teach us how to get past it without blowing things up, but he can grow us in ways through it that would not have been possible without it or would have been less likely to even happen. There are dimensions of who we are that he wants to unravel. Uh, because again, what is it? It's the heat of the adversity that breaks the resin that lets the thing open up and all of a sudden you got life flowing. And that, by the way, just sit with the announcement. Those seeds has to do with the effect of our life on others. Whenever God does wholeness, works wholeness in us, even through the struggles, it doesn't just affect us, it affects other people. The imagery of the closing song, in your handout you'll see it. It's called Stained Glass. The lyrics are there in the column on the, on the inside, the right, far right-hand column. 
Stained Glass, I asked them specifically if they would do this song at the opening of this series. The reason was because the words, the words you can see them, all my days I've been wearing my mistakes I've made, like a coat I could have thrown away. I should have brought this to you, Lord. Why am I carrying this stuff? All my pain, like a fire burning in the rain, like a stain, I couldn't wash it away. I should have brought it to you. Right? All my fears. Oh, how those fears worked their way into our lives. I've got one for every single tear, like a flood that's rushing in through these years. I'll bring it to you. Here's the thing. Mistakes, pain, fears. He, then he uses this great analogy the writer does. He basically says, it's like, it's like stained glass to you. That's what I'm like. Now, what is stained glass? Now, it's cool because we, we have some stained glass in the sanctuary. But stained glass is interesting because it's color. You say, well, it's just color. You know what actually stained glass is? Think about it. It's, it's broken. It's broken pieces that are discolored. They're stained. And out of that brokenness and stain, when it's put together in a certain way and light shines through it, it creates a beauty that most would say surpasses clear glass. And in certain times, it can even tell a story. The glass itself tells the story. It's beautiful. And I keep thinking that in so many ways, that's exactly what the Lord wants to do in our lives. The worst things, the broken things, the shameful things, the stained things, the discolored things, he takes them. If we let him, if we let him, and we may not do it, get it all right all at once, but we are, we're letting him. He takes it and he shines his light of grace through it, and all of a sudden beauty comes from it. A beauty that could not have happened with just the clear glass. It's the beauty of the stained glass. Huh. So we're going to share that after we have our time of giving, but I want, to, I want you to look at that prayer. This is the prayer we'll close with. In the black. Pray with me later on. You guys can, any of us who feel like it, just keep hammering this in the ground. Some tr- oh, here's the thing. Some truth is like a nail being hammered into the wood. You tap it once, that's good. You might get it in there. You keep hitting it. Drive it down. Drive the truth down into, you, into the wood. Let it, let, it, let it hit us. It'll have traction. Lord, I know you love me. Help me to live unafraid of things in life that are hard. Lord, please, painful, yeah, uncomfortable. Shape me, make me, grow me like light shining through the shards of broken and discolored glass. Shine your beauty through the brokenness, whatever it may be. Use the things I would despise for a greater purpose and greater design. Show me what you can do with the broken and the discolored and the stained. And let me be a testimony of your grace. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.